Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and I am your host for Bookin', presented by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Jasper Ford, winner of the Wodehouse Prize for Comic Fiction, author of the Thursday Next series, the Nursery Crime series, Shades of Grey, and most recently, Early Riser, published by Viking Press, an imprint of Penguin Random House. Jasper, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and Jasper, my first question for you involves the acknowledgement section of your book in which you thank your readers for sticking with you <laughs> through your creative hiatus of 2014 through 2016. Can you tell me about that? Um, well, I just thought it was very, uh, very good of people to wait for me, really. Um, I think it was, um, well, to talk to you about the, uh, the, the hiatus or thanking people. Um, yeah, the hiatus was was an interesting thing. I'd, I'd done a book a year for 12 years and, and everything was absolutely fine. And then all of a sudden it wasn't. And for some reason, this book just did not want to be written. I don't know what it was. It was just, I think, probably several things coming in, you know, stage left, stage right. And I think what I learned th- through that was that you have to write your way out of these issues you know there's there's no real shortcut to it but it's also a question of uh, I put it down to um being able to see the goalposts through the fog um and that kind of, I think it's a kind of statement that's almost self-explanatory it's self kind of like you know self self-extracting um you can actually look, look at that and think yeah that's kind of you could do you you can manage that on a small level you can manage it on a big level but things just weren't going particularly right and the book certainly wasn't working um, and but eventually, eventually, I sort of pushed my way through, and after whatever it was, three years, um, yeah, it came good. Yeah, because you know, to me, uh, for someone who seems to be relatively prolific, uh, you a two-year quote-unquote hiatus hardly seems like a break at all. A novel a year seems sort of like a breakneck pace to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I when I when I write, I write quite intently. Uh, because all my books, I think, have a lot in them. They're quite, they're quite dense with ideas, and all the strands in them all need to be sort of kept in, kept in one's head. So, so when I'm writing, I, I do write very, very intensely, and I'll often do, you know, six day weeks. Um, if I, if I leave my writing for like two or three days, um, quite often all the, all the ideas, all the plot threads, will sort of fall out of my head, and I have to reread the book to figure out exactly what's going on. So it just helps to write very intently um and keeping that up for three years when it's not really not working is is problematical um and then and then the fact that not being able to write it then becomes one of the you know becomes the the fog is increasing because i can't write the book and then that becomes an issue in itself so um yeah it it was yeah it was slightly slightly difficult yeah and speaking of all the threads uh, that you have going for any particular novel do you edit your own work or do you have someone edit for you um, no, I edit my own work. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether this is a, a misconception or whether, or whether other authors have editors who actually literally pull the book apart and, and put it back together again. I don't know whether they do that or not. Do they? Uh, do you some think? do, yes. They do? Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I write a, a, a reasonably good draft, a reasonably okay, you know, okay draft, and I give it to my editor, uh, US and UK, and and they look at it and they go okay and they give me broad broad brush strokes and I just go away and and, and do what I do, but um, no I mean uh, absolutely not hands on editing no it's all it's all me really excellent um, 
Jasper, let's talk a little bit about your novel, Early Riser. I often read this novel at night. Um, I have a two-year-old, so very late at night after he goes to bed, uh, when I probably should have been asleep, and I feel like this was the perfect reading experience for Early Riser. It's a novel about sleep and sometimes the lack thereof. What was the genesis of your idea for this novel? Uh, it was the the idea originally. I had several ideas. I had this I had this sort of nightmarish scenario about being stuck on this these this pile of stones, you know, around a, 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 the base of a tree, which is which is actually a thing in the UK. Um, farmers, you know, pull stones out of the field, and rather than take them to the edge of the field, they usually put them in around a tree, which is in the middle of a field. And this is again a, a unique thing to the British countryside is that. Farmers actually do like large oak trees in middle of middles of fields, and they plow around them and have done for hundreds of years, which I think is rather rather good. Um, uh, but anyway, so I had all these various different ideas, and that's part of a dream sequence within the within the book. Uh, I had all these ideas, but I had no sort of unifying thread that could could actually hang them all together. And I had ideas for a character, these two opposing characters, Aurora and Takata, and I had this sort of, these sort of ideas. And then I was suddenly thought about hibernation. I don't know, there's something had been on the telly. And I'd suddenly thought, okay, what if humans hibernated? And all of a sudden I went, ah, okay, that is going to be the unifying thread by which I can put all these other little ideas together and hopefully something, you know, quite rich will come out of the uh, of the mess. Um uh, and and eventually, eventually it did. Thank you, Jasper. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the idea of the campaign for real sleep. Um, you know, there are a lot of pharmaceutical companies who create drugs, uh, and they're creating the symptoms that these drugs will relieve as well. Oftentimes, um, as some background, there's a drug in this novel, Morphinox, that many of the characters will go to a great deal of pain to procure. And in order to combat these entities who are dispensing Morphinox to the public, there's the organization, uh, the Campaign for Real Sleep. Um, and this is an organization that also inspires uh, fear in some of your characters. Can you tell us more about this aspect of your novel? Yeah, well, uh, the the tricky part about writing something that is speculative like this is that just having people hibernate is, isn't enough. It has to be plausible. The reason we do it... Uh, the reason we do it, why we do it, um, the, fu- the the way in which it it functions, and then you also have to uh, you have to put that in a sort of human modern context, um, and I and I figure that there are uh, there must be a sort of two tiers of sleeping. There are there are people who who have wealth and position can of, can afford this drug called uh, Morphinox, and then there are other people who don't. Um, Morphinox essentially uh, it, it stops dreaming. Um, because the idea is that you have to bulk up quite considerably to be able to survive the four months of, of the winter, and this is how this is how a lot of animals do it. Um, and if you take morphinox, then it just uh, relieves you of dreaming, uh, and of course you can actually then lose less weight because the the mental the subconscious mental activity will actually burn um, burn energy that could be used for, you know for staying for staying asleep for a little bit longer so you don't have to be quite so heavy to survive this to survive the winter so this is this is kind of how how the how the the hibernation uh, functions uh, but then i was sort of adding this notion about the pharmaceutical company which kind of then gives it gives it a very um uh, gives it a sort of slightly satirical modern and and recognizable part of it uh, which I, which I think is um, is kind of important. It kind of complicates it slightly, but hibern- humans hibernating is a very I think uh, a, a very sort of complex 
subject. And I think maybe that was what some of the difficulties in, in writing the book, because originally the book was um, at first draft. It was a sort of 170,000 words of just a, a very detailed world in which humans hibernate, um, but not much story. And, and that was, you know, the big issue is I actually had to actually find out where the story was, find out where the arc was, find out what the characters were doing and finding out where it, where it really worked uh, from a narrative point of view. Uh, but no, satire, always good fun to put in and pharmaceutical companies, you know, um, uh, over here as well as in the UK, you know, they're a sort of, uh, well, you know, let's say they, they're ethically challenged uh, sometimes. So, um, yeah, they were pretty good to put in. Yeah, the idea of hibernation for the human race is a very interesting one, especially that it um, necessitates that pudding becomes a currency and things of that nature, which mm. was very clever. Um, going back to my last question, though, can you tell us a little bit about the organization, the Campaign of Real Sleep, or For yeah, Real Sleep? I mean. Yeah, Campaign for Real Sleep. Well, I, I, I again, it's putting this um, uh, sort of veneer of reality on it by having that if you had people, if you had a... Um, a sort of uh, a sleep, a, a naturally sleeping subclass. So you have people who 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 sleep uh, a medicated sleep, and then it's people who you have a sort of subclass who are considered, you know, natural sleepers. And that's and that's considered um, it's 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 uncouth. Uh, it's it's not sort of how things are done, and they're separated out into separate dormitoria. And and I kind of like the idea that you could be that 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 sleep and hibernation. Um, and the way that humans always do these things uh, is is actually you can actually put a class structure on on how you hibernate. And I thought if if there are people who are naturally sleepers, then you would have um, people campaigning um, for natural sleep. Um, so so this is what these guys do essentially. And they're saying you know that that morphinox should either be available for everybody or it should avail be available for none. So they're, they're sort of slightly you know slightly sort of you know, political politically motivated, shall we say. Thank you, Jasper. We're going to take a break for a word from our sponsor, and then I'll be right back with Jasper Ford. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin', B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I am speaking with Jasper Ford, author most recently of Early Riser, published by Viking, which is an imprint of Penguin Random House. Jasper, one of my favorite aspects of this novel, Early Riser, is the viral dream. Can you talk to us about the concept of a viral dream, including how you, Jasper Ford, came up with the idea for it? And then maybe talk a little bit about the viral dream that is specific to this novel. Mm. Well, I kind of like the idea that you could you could maybe catch a dream from someone else. Um, that's 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 quite a, a nice idea. And when you have the viral dream, you you have you can con sort of compare it to other people who've had a similar dream. And there are there are there are parts of it that you 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 share, but you can only share it through the dream. Uh, and and I think this is a slightly creepy 
concept. It's um, it's slightly slightly worrisome, and my my character Charlie uh, gets gets this dream and and has the same dream repeated, and it's identical, you know, absolutely identical, um, and it's identical to a dream that other people have have had, and 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 there are there are other, these other people who've had the dream will say things about the dream that he he that 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 Charlie has never mentioned so there is a sort of mystery involved with this that I, I rather like um, but I think what I like also about about having these you know these difficult mysteries uh, to sort of solve is that that it is resolved that there is actually a very good reason why the dream is viral and and why it should be identical in every single in every single aspect uh, and that was again one of these many ideas that I was I was having at the time that I, that I wanted to somehow thread together you know un, underneath this sort of banner idea of, uh, of hibernation but um yeah I, I think viral dreams are a fun, fun idea dreams dreams are interesting i think and and no one knows really what they are i mean you know sort of i, th I think uh, i think the best theory is that d dreams are essentially a a uh, the mind clicking over um and then trying to make a narrative out of these random thoughts because uh, that's what we do. We try, we try and you know connect it all together in a very sort of bizarre and strange way. It's kind of like an, an artifact of, of 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 our you know extraordinarily uh, you know um, you know high functioning brain. Thank you, um, Jasper. I want to talk a little bit about pop culture and um, the possible influence of pop culture on your novel Early Riser specifically. There are two things that come to mind uh, for me. One is zombie literature television shows movies the walking dead coming to mind is perhaps the most pervasive and far-reaching zombie story out in the world at present and the second are george rr R. martin's song of ice and fire novels and game of thrones tv series specifically the winter is coming motif and i recognize that all of these things are of course influenced by other things in turn um can you talk about zombies impending winters pop culture as you see yeah. fit um, yeah, pop culture is great fun. I, I I like putting it in um, putting it in books because when you're writing speculative fiction and you know strange fantasy worlds, that there has to be something that anchors the reader in some reality, and and I th I call them like standard candles. And Shakespeare I often bring in to my books um, just to say you know okay this is a real world and all these things you can recognise them. So even though you're in a strange place and there are things going on that are very ob obviously not our world, there are things that are recognisable which will, will anchor you so that you you know you you can figure out where you are in the story and how the story works and how the how the society works and everything. So so I I, I do that quite a lot with um uh, with with pop culture. The zombie uh, the zombie sub sub uh, sort of you know sub genre in in the book uh, subplot if you like. Uh, they're never mentioned as zombies. They're essentially sort of like night walkers. They're sort of sonambulists, if you like. But they, these are people who have fallen so far into the uh, sort of the deep pit, uh, the abyss of hibernation that they've actually suffered a neural collapse and, and come out as essentially sort of you know brain dead, sort of denizens of the of the the night, as I call them. Um, I, I I like the idea the the zombie the zombie. Um, uh, I enjoy zombie movies, uh, I must say. I do quite enjoy it. Um, but it is a worrying genre. It's a worrying trope because this essentially is, this, is, the, is the dangerous kind of minority other which is trying to essentially sort of kill you and take you over and make you one of them, which, which I, I, you know, I'm sure you know, psychologists and sociologists would have a lot of very interesting things to say about the, the zombie trope. So 
what I kind of like to do with, with anything like this is say, no, let's look at it in a slightly different way. Um, let's say that let's give our zombies in this book like vestiges of their humanity. You know, they have their, they're called like Trixie Walkers. They, they, they have some small something that they can remember from their previous life, either if it's, you know, mumbling a shopping list or playing the bazooki or being able to do a Rubik's Cube. There's something there. And I think um, there's this small sort of, you know, part of humanity. Uh, and that's, you know, without giving too much away, that perhaps if you look uh, deeper into zombies and with sort of empathy and understanding, then perhaps, you know, they might surprise you. Thank you. And can you talk about the uh, thread of Rogers and Hammerstein songs in this novel? Mm, yeah. Well, uh, Rogers and Hammerstein. Uh, yes, well, there is some... Um, because uh, writing a book about hibernation, uh, you, uh, you have to you have to kind of look at it in a kind of logical fashion. And if we'd already always hibernated, and I think that's the important thing in this book, is that humans have always hibernated. So, so they had time to build up their own hibernational sort of mythology of these um, of these sort of creatures that that are obviously sort of mythical that that live in the night. Because for, for for most people, the like you know, like the middle of the night doesn't exist for, for many of us. We, we sleep through it. We, we're completely unconscious. And I think for many people in, in the book, most people in the book um, are the ones that you never really meet. They're the ones who go to sleep in the winter and they, and they wake up in its spring. And for them, four months of the year just does not exist. Um, so I, was, I had to create what's called the winter volk, uh, which are all these sort of uh, people, um, um, sort of strange creatures, animals, if you like, that, that live in the winter. And one of them is called the gronk. Um, and the Gronk is very interested in, in Rogers and Hammerstein for some reason and likes to fold shopping, uh, shop, shopping, uh, likes to fold um, linen. Um, and, and I think the thing about writing about um, writing about mythical creatures is that they're they're kind of illogical. They're kind of random in, in what they they do. And I think the the notion that the Gronk really likes Rogers and Hammerstein and really likes folding uh, linen uh, does oddly give it credibility rather than making it sort of silly. Um, I wanted more Rogers and Hammerstein um, lines. I actually wanted you lines from the, the, the songs, but um, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't clear them. I couldn't even get to talk to them, actually. Mm. They sent me one return email, and then, then it was just silence. Mm. And, of course, silence is the new no when it comes to emails. You know, if someone's, if someone's not e emailing you back, you know the answer is no, because, of course, they're getting them, even if they say they don't. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the new no, new way of saying no, um, which was unfortunate. Um, uh, so, um, yes, I couldn't use them, but I could luckily refer to Rogers and Hamstein and I could use the titles of the songs that is allowed. Excellent. Thanks. Um, I have a question about a specific line in the novel, and this is from a uh, bookseller bill here at Quail Ridge uh, okay. Books. Um, the line is on page 229 for any listeners who are following along with your books at home. Um, there's a passage that starts, It's very beautiful, isn't it? said Fodder, pausing briefly to stare admiringly at the wavering light, the railings, the stonework and statue draped in snow. And then the next line says, Sort of desolate, I said, in a magnificent kind of way. Mm. Does that line have any sort of meaning outside of this book? Uh, I, think it's, I think it's how Buzz Aldrin des uh, described the moon of magnificent desolation. And... I think that was probably one of the, you know, greatest sort of short descriptive sentences probably in the English language. Uh, this is a man who's gazed, gazed upon an, a, 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 
a place that that no human has been before. You know, uh, they say that you know um, um, Armstrong was the first on the moon, but but he wasn't. They were there together. He just stepped on it first. Um, but I think I think you know for all the you know one small step and everything, the really key expression on the moon was the the magnificence of the desolation which just sums it up perfectly and beautifully and and you hear these things and you kind of want to paraphrase them or just move them around a different way and use them and that yes that's exactly where it came from thank you and jasper because uh we are a podcast that is rooted in a bookshop uh do you have any books that you would like to recommend for our listeners Ah, I recommend for your listeners. Well, the the book that I read um, for the first time only, I think, about two or three months ago, and I haven't read uh, a better book since, and I don't think I will for many, many years, was um, uh, True Grit by Charles Portis. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I always liked the movie, not not the John Wayne one, obviously, the later one. Um, and, and I sort of really liked it. And someone said, oh, you should read the book, because the book is actually very like the movie. In fact, you know, really, all they've done is just put the book on the on the film mm-hmm. um so I, I read the book and it, it is an extraordinary piece of work i mean it really is a, a lovely lovely piece of work it's 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 three it's almost like three narratives you've got three voices um you know you've got matty as as the young as the young girl then you have matty commenting on the thoughts of a young girl and then you have a much older matty describing you know the whole story and i, I just think it's a lovely piece of work and it's it's it begins brilliantly, it ends brilliantly, and the whole thing is just terrific. Thank you so much, Jasper. Um, I've been speaking with Jasper Ford, author of Early Riser, published by Viking, an imprint of Penguin Random House. Jasper, thanks for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, I'd like to thank Jasper Ford for joining me. Signed copies of Early Riser can be bought in-store or online at www.quailridgebooks.com while supplies last. Our sponsor is Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please go to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, to get three months for the price of one. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been booking.